Well, we are going to uh, carry on our worship by listening to God's Word. And for those of you who thought that we finished with the Gospel of Mark, we haven't. Because we're going to use the Gospel of Mark as a stepping stone to what we're going to be looking and discovering uh, in the next three or four weeks together. Um, really, um, the, 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 the desire and my prayer for the Gospel of Mark, we've been looking at Mark and who's Jesus and what people say about himself has been that we, we grow in not only in our head knowledge, but in our understanding and in our in our actually trust to, to this Jesus. And, and it's been really interesting to, uh, to, 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 to deal with the questions um, who do you think Jesus is? Or who do the people say that I am? And who do you say uh, that I am? And the stepping stone for this series, actually, it's called Unbelievable. And it's inspired by, by, by a book written by Martin Duncan. Again, you've kind of known him that he's one of my favorite um, writers for the moment. But basically, it's, it, it's a series that it's addressing with, with the Apostles' Creed, or the Creed of the Apostles. And um, we're going to be dealing with that in detail in the next three weeks. But today I thought I'd just scratch the surface with where we're heading and what, what we want to do. And really, it begins with the story in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark. Um, if we know now what's been going on in the Gospel of Mark, we've got chapter 8, and Jesus declares who he is. Peter comes and he says, But you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then the beginning of chapter 9, we've got the fantastic moment where the, the, the whole idea of this. Christ incarnate becomes more realistic because he's God and, and they deal with transfiguration and then they come back and they've seen a different side of Jesus. And then Mark wants to make us aware that while this was happening there were other things happening. We're going to be picking up from chapter 9 verse 14 where there is an element where there is a father who is desperate to see his son be released, be freed up because he's been really knackered from uh, being demonized. And, and it's been very, very interesting how, how Mark wants to, to, to give us Peter's perspective on how, how Jesus deals with this. And the main verse that we're going to be focusing today, I'm, I'm going to recall the whole story because it's good to refresh that from the scriptures, but the main verse that we're going to be dealing with is verse 24. But, but, the, but the story goes like this. They came to the disciples and they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So this is just, they've come back from the uh, land of transfiguration. 
As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought to you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him in the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes frigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and all around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asks the boy's father, How long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him in a fire or water or to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible with him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I too believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You, you deaf and new spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him blindly and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse. They, many said, he's, the, many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And the story carries on. May God's name be blessed by the reading of His Word. Amen. <clears throat> the story is amazing. It gives me goosebumps because who wouldn't want for their children to be well. Who would want for their children to be the best that they can? And this is the longing desire of this father. And yet, he is dealing with the disciples who cannot do anything about it. Mark is not going to try and give us an ideal way of discipleship or Christianity that is so idealized that you can't, you know, you, you, you can't deal with it in those terms. Mark is giving us the real life matters of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the question here is. These guys have been with Jesus for three years. These guys have been and following him and they've seen him 
to, to, to do the different miracles. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him empower people. They've seen him really forgive sins. They've seen all sorts of things. And yet, they have not grasped. Yet, they have not grasped what it means to be fully immersed in the ministry of Jesus. And therefore, he's trying now to teach them something very simple, which is very complex in itself. And he's going to do that by allowing this miracle to happen. And he's going to do that by also seeing that actually, here we've got a guy who's been desperate, and he knows how he goes back and forth into all his idea that actually, Lord, I believe you can do it. But also I know that I'm cynical and skeptical. This is my need. One of the things that comes in conversations is that together when we when we talk about our life is I've met some of you who have been in their journey of faith for many years. I've met some of you who have just encountered Jesus um, recently, in the recent years. And, and trying to, to, to deal with this in, in, in a pastoral way, I, through this series, what I want us to do is that, to acknowledge the fact that it doesn't matter how long you've been doing or following or being a disciple of Jesus Christ. What it matters is that we come to this place because we want to acknowledge that we want to follow Christ. Or we come to this place as this guy actually with that need that God, I'm in great need for you. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Actually, in this world, in this society where we live in, everything around me says that I shouldn't believe, I should use common sense, I should use logic, I should do this and that and that. Whereas your word asks me otherwise to trust you. I've chosen the Apostles' Creed for a reason, because in Buckley's circles, the Apostles' Creed has been controversial. Um, usually, part of the Baptist history um, has been that we don't use the Creed because we've got only the Bible, and therefore there has been quite uh, well a movement within it. Interestingly enough, I, I, I threw a question and I'm part of a Baptist minister's uh, group in the UK Facebook page. And I threw in the question this week saying, what shall we do about the creed? You know, should we preach about it? And I just wanted to... And it's very interesting how people uh, vary in, in their pros and cons. I want to preach from the Bible actually by using the creed. So this is this is something that I, I really I really believe that we can learn from. This is a tool for us, and this is something that we can refresh our actually commitment to our discipleship of Jesus. But it has to start from that place. Lord, 
I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Can we have the next slide, please? This is what one of his statements that Malcolm says in this book, actually, that while our statements of God should be accurate, descriptive, and clear, they should always allow room for mystery, for wonder, and for worship. So let's have a look at the creed. So let's start. Um, just to, 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 to give you background, um, there is not a precise date for the creed. I think um, there is a big Debates are there when it has been um, produced. It's 100 AD, maybe, and stuff like that. And there, there has been a myth that actually it's called the Apostles' Creed because uh, the 12 apostles wrote each one line to make the creed. And therefore, it's going to be. It's nothing like that, guys. It's called the Apostles' Creed because. The church, the early church, tried to build their teaching on the foundations of the teaching of the apostles. And therefore, this is more to say that this is part of that heritage. This is part of, of something that they've inherited from the apostles. And therefore, this is, this is a great tool. So, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. For there, from there he will come again to, to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen? Amen. Thank you. It's been going on for 1,600, years in usage. As the creed has gone through all different oppressions and regimes, it's been a tool for the disciples to stay on track with what do they believe. Can I have the next slide, Mark? The idea of the creed, just to, to um, extend a little bit more, why are we doing this? The creed in itself is just a tool. It doesn't have any authority. It doesn't have any, any, anything that we, we, we could really aspire to in the sense of it. It's going to be in the same level with God's words. But what it does is, I've put there the picture of the moon, because actually what it does, it's in the same way that the moon receives 
its light from the sun. This is how the creed actually receives its life and its light from the scriptures. So what we're saying is in the coming Sunday that we're going to preach from the creed, you need to correct me because that's not true. We're preaching from God's word in the light of what we have been inherited, inheriting from this decree of the apostles. The other thing is that I said it's a tool, and, and, and because it has been a well-used tool for uh, spiritual formation of Christians, so for example, in the early church, they could not be baptized um, for a year actually after they've they've committed their, their life to Jesus, but also they could not be baptized. Nobody would baptize anybody unless they really said that they truly believe on this on this creed. But also I think for us in this 21st century Christians is that it's part of our spiritual formation, it's part of our journey with God, it's part of us coming and reinstating the truths of God's word for our lives as a disciple of Jesus. And one of the things that happens with liturgy, or two things that happen with liturgy, is that in their usage, they, use, they lose the sense of what they're meant for. And this is not the intention at all. It's quite the opposite. We want to embrace it and say, God, this is what we are. This is what we believe. The other usage is that if, if you happen to be using this, some people think that there is something um, like a magical smell, abracadabra, part of... Because if you, if you have said the creed, uh, it, it, something magical is going to happen. And I just wanted to say to us that there is nothing magical or hocus pocus or abracadabra about creed. It's, it's just a tool for us to, to, to embrace and to look at. And this morning, I just wanted to ask to, to ponder a little bit um, on the creed. So we're going to spend the next two minutes um, reading. Mark, can we have the next um, slide, please? And this is a moment for us to be thinking a little bit about, about this ourselves. Where we are with this. We're going to be taking communion together. Um, as I've been preparing this week, I've been really humbled by the legacy that how many people through the centuries and the years have stood up for this. And they've had their lives really put in danger in different levels. Also, I have been humbled that this is a tool that actually unites us as Christians. Um, this is a tool that brings all the facts about 
will, will believe together. This is a tool that unites the church. So it's not only the, the idea of the legacy and, and, and the history and the, 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 the package of people who have stood for Christ, but also it's the legacy of a tool that has been united, uniting the church of God through the centuries. So I'm really humbled by it. And I really want for us to be spending time with it as we ponder. And, and really ask God to use this as a tool to search our hearts. Because as we'll find out, that whenever we declare the creed, whenever we declare the creed, and it's, it's in a first person singular, one of the commentators says, simultaneously, we declare the rebellion to the things that are against God and our allegiance to Christ. Every time we say the creed, whether as individuals or whether as the body of Christ, we still say it in the first person singular, we declare publicly, we confess publicly our rebellion to the Caesars of this world, the equivalent of that, you name it, in the 21st century. Our rebellion to the Caesars and our allegiance to Christ. So, that's what we're going to do. Before we take communion, we'll say this together. But I just want to give us um, a few moments to be thinking about this and sick in our hearts. Thank you that we have got a God that we can call Father. Thank you. That we can put our trust in a Savior that is called Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can believe in the Holy Spirit who is active in our lives. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord, to be able to come to this place and call you Father. And as we think and contemplate about the creed, as we dwell on your words, that brings light into this tool, we pray, Jesus, that you will be glorified. We pray that 
you will continue to teach us from your word and we pray that we will respond in worship. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can believe in you. Would you help us now believe? Thank you that through this phrase we are indicating our desire and hope and longing to grow in our belief in you.